Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope, for those of you happening across our webcast, podcast, even broadcast for the very first time, is our daily journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. And that's certainly where you come in. It's your questions on the Bible that make up the content of each and every edition of A Reason for Hope. So we hope you'll join on in and be an active participant Uh, People will ask what kind of questions are good questions for the broadcast. Well, pretty simple, as long as it's a sincere question. If you're looking for an answer straight from God's Word, we'll be happy to do our best to provide it for you, whether that's a question on a passage uh, you'd like to explore, uh, maybe personal issues in your walk with God. You could use some guidance and direction there. Uh, Maybe a tough question or two lobbed your way by a skeptic or a non-believer. The events of the day, even the events of tomorrow through biblical prophecy. Boy, we've got some interesting stuff to talk Mm -hmm. about here today. And as far as interesting changes and variations are concerned. We're welcoming Dave Robson here to join us here on the broadcast. Uh, Boy, we've uh, had a very interesting sort of uh, slew of bad fortune as far as our our normal panel is is concerned here. Um, uh, Pray for my right-hand man, protege, all around good guy, Sean Richards. He has just got a massive headache and a fever going on right now. And uh, as Dave will testify. I have one hard and fast rule among our staff here. If you show up and you are sick, it will be the last time you show up as a staff member here. You can attend the church after you repent, but uh, if you want to be fired right off the bat, that's what you do, uh, because uh, you show up and you spread the bug, and then we all get sick. That's right. Peter Martin, a little under the weather. Uh, Bo Ouellette, you can be praying for him, uh, he and his family. Going through some uh, challenging times, his mom, uh, Dot, uh, facing some health challenges and could really uh, uh, appreciate uh, your prayers at this particular time. So uh, the bottom line is, and uh, our own Adrian Van Vactor, who sometimes fits in, <laughs> he is also under the weather. So Dave and I we are the, are the, strong the healthy on the few, one. Yeah. So we <laughs> believe in the uh, eternal plan of God. <laughs> God knew that we would be healthy here today. So here we are. And here we are. Um, you know, again, for those of you who don't know Dave, Dave is our worship leader at Calvary Christian Fellowship and has just been a wonderful part of the church for uh, many, many years. Um, we were talking earlier about a little inside baseball for people here about the idea of co-hosting here. And people say, well, why don't why Dave been here on the broadcast? Uh, basically because uh, we really didn't want to inflict that on him. Uh, you know, it, it's really an interesting thing. I just sort of assume after all these years that everybody's a ham like me and doesn't mind being on the air and answering Bible questions. But uh, boy, I, I learned early on, and I was sharing this with Dave earlier, that uh, I discovered how you can scatter a, a group of pastors uh, most efficiently. Uh, when I attend a, a Calvary Chapel uh pastors conference sometimes we would be able to do the broadcast live and on site mm. from these conferences so I'd, I'd see some of these guys and i'd say hey we're going to be doing a reason for hope we're going to be answering bible questions do you want to sit in <laughs> and they would look at me like um oh i i think i remember i left the oven on at home i mean they would just <laughs> scatter and um, you know i i forget sometimes 
that this is an area of giftedness, that not everybody has this Absolutely. particular area of giftedness, and uh, it can be a little intimidating for folks. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I just think Dave, uh, God has cornered you. <laughs> he has brought you to this place. He's done that a lot. You've got life. no choice yeah. but to do this broadcast today. That's right. So, so here we are. Yeah. So, Dave, if people want to get their questions to us, how can they do that? Well, there's multiple ways you can join us. And if you're joining us, then obviously you've already found one of those ways. But you can email your questions at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope at gmail.com. And I'll be monitoring that. We already have one question there I can see sitting there waiting for us. Also on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, CCF Tucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship on Facebook. Or our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Uh, follow the Watch Live tab, and that will take you to our viewer there. And then lastly but not leastly, uh, YouTube, A Reason for Hope. If you search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube, you can join us there as well. So not only join us, but do share as well. Share the broadcast, um, just widen the outreach there, and we would appreciate it. And again, we'll be monitoring all those feeds for your questions and your comments, and uh, try and keep a handle on all those um, as the program is guided by your questions, yeah. as we have said. Yeah, well, before we go any further, uh, especially on a day like this, Dave, I'll be praying for God's <laughs> yes. anointing upon you here. Uh, actually, we're just going to give the broadcast over to the Lord like we usually do. Father, I thank you so much. We have this opportunity to explore your word and what's happening in this, this crazy world we're in. I thank you, Lord, uh, that earlier today you brought to my mind that wonderful uh, statement that you make in Psalm 33, that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, he makes the plans of the people of no effect, but the counsel of the Lord endures forever, and the plans of his heart are to all generations. I thank you, Lord, that even with all the crazy news that is going on, and all of uh, the ways that fear seems to be doing land office business in our day, Lord, by taking a look at what your word has to say about the times we live in, uh, about how we can make the most of these times we live in, how we can make that next step and be smack dab in the middle of your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Boy, mm. fear just flies away. And I pray, Father, you do a special ministry along that line to those who are joining us here today, that, that faith and confidence in your timeless, unchanging character, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, mm -hmm. would uh, minister and encourage and bless the people that are part of this broadcast. Thank you, Lord, um, that we can leave the questions we're going to answer right in your hands. Thank you for Dave being here. Anoint and empower him and all of us in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, the, the, one, the only other uh, detail I'll add here, uh, Dave, is uh, we were talking earlier, and he was saying, well, you know, I've never done anything like this. I said, well, Dave... You have a British accent. Everything you say is going to sound intelligent <laughs> to all us Americans here. So, uh, Not to my parents. Yeah, so you said that was your superpower. <laughs> That's my superpower, So yeah. remember, with great uh, power comes great responsibility, <laughs> Indeed, so use it well. That's right. Yeah. You know what's really cool, too? The Lord was speaking to me this afternoon when, when I found out I was going to be doing the show, and you talked about giftedness. And, you know, I've been leading worship for many years. And, you know, with anything, the more you do it, you get more comfortable and I'm very comfortable you know when I get up on the stage sure. and I lead I'm just very comfortable there as you sure you are you know teaching um, most because of the it's time. just most of the time it's been how convicting <laughs> it is um, but I've been as I've been discipling worship leaders you know there's there's two main ways we can make things about ourselves we can go you know be prideful and say like oh yes I have this wonderful gift but also 
being scared and petrified, that's a, like another way we're making it about ourselves. We're keeping our eyes on ourselves. And as I've been discipling other worship leaders, yeah. just remind them that's of that. Good. Like if you're if you're nervous to get up there, pray for the Lord to show you how you're making it about yourself. You shouldn't be nervous. You know, you you you, you should be seeking the Lord to be led of the Spirit. And today, of course, when I found out I was doing the show, I was petrified. <laughs> so it's like, it's all right yeah. for me to say, oh, yeah, get up on the stage. But but it was really cool. It was a cool moment for me today. Just like, wow, yeah, I need to practice what I preach, so to speak, and trust the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit. And yeah. um, and we, we need to do that in every whatever the Lord calls us to do. So. Yeah, you know, it, it uh, sometimes I'll get an eyebrow raised from people after a, a message where they, they'll say something like, Wow, that was really convicting. The Lord spoke to really spoke to my heart about all of this. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll go, oh, "Well, you know, I just thought you were there to be the deliverer of all of this." Right. But the thing I, I tell people is, uh, before I share a message, uh, God usually rakes me over the coals on it for a few days beforehand and brings some areas into my life where I can apply it, and yeah. then turns it on uh, its its head. And so I'm, I'm glad the Lord's doing that in your life Absolutely. here today, Dave. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's great to have you with us on the program. I keep threatening Dave that I'm going to ask him to opine on the uh, pros and cons of infralapsarianism here today, <laughs> but, but I think we'll just leave that. In we don't have enough the, time. To... The realm of the joke. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so what's up as far as the questions go? Well, we had an email question from Lee. Um, this is a really good question. Uh, he's reading the, the New American Standard um, version of the Bible in 1 Samuel 18, and verse 10. It says, Now it came about on the next day that an, that an evil spirit from God sure. came mightily upon Saul. And then chapter 19, verse 9, Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul. And, of course, the obvious question it brings up is, as he says, I don't understand God sending an evil spirit. Um, did he just allow Satan to do so, or what's going on there? Yeah, that's a really great question, and there's really three ways to look at it. Uh, again, Lee, uh, it comes up even earlier in the book of First Samuel. In First Samuel 16 uh, and verse 14, uh, we are told that a transition uh, is taking place. King David has been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. King Saul had pushed the envelope uh, too far. He had uh, disobeyed the Lord. He had taken uh, spiritual matters into his own hands, even going so far as to uh, uh, offer a sacrifice without waiting for Samuel to be there. And uh, God took that as a definite, um, you're getting too big for your britches. And it's mm. really interesting when you take a look at Saul psychologically, because he started out uh, so petrified of being called by God to be king over Israel, uh, that he actually, uh, when Samuel came and said, we're going to name the king, God's going to identify him, they were casting lots and fell down to the tribe of Benjamin, fell down to Saul's family, fell down to Saul himself. They go, well, where, where's Saul? And he was hiding in a bunch of baskets. He didn't really even want uh, the, the title. But we're told that, in, in a sense, God is dealing with Israel through this man because Israel asked for a king so they could be like the other nations. Hmm. And uh, Samuel was heartbroken about it. And God said to Samuel, don't let this break your heart, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me hmm. as king over them. But go ahead, give them a king. Uh, they were already warned in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that when they got a king, this king was going to, uh, you know, tax them into the Stone Age and uh, give their children as, uh, as uh, uh, fodder for wars and, 
and so on. And 1 Samuel 17 gave uh, some really important guidelines that this king needed to follow in order not to fall away, including, but not limited to, uh, writing out his own copy of the Law of Moses so he would always have it to consult with. Well, it doesn't appear that Saul ever did that. And uh, God's Spirit came upon Saul, uh, used Saul to accomplish some victories. But you can almost see that Saul's heart was turning. He kind of fell in love with his own success at that Mm -hmm. point. And it's really interesting how a person who starts out painfully insecure will ride the pendulum and become incredibly egotistical Mm -hmm. on the other side of the coin. And I think it's like you said, uh, people keeping their eyes on themselves. Yeah. You know, either too much to the negative or too much to the positive. And so when we come to this place in 1 Samuel 16, God says, I'm going to send you, uh, Samuel, to the house of Jesse, and, and you're going to uh, anoint the next king of Israel. You know, Samuel's even kind of caught up. He looks at David's big brother, Eliab, and he sees he's this big, strapping guy, very impressive. Mm. And God has to pull him back and says, don't look upon his stature mm. or his countenance, for I've rejected him. For uh, God sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, Samuel was ready to make the same mistake all over again. Mm. You know, Jesse brings out all of his sons. Finally, uh, Samuel says, is anybody left? Oh, there's this, this, my youngest son, David. He's just out there watching the sheep. You can't be interested in him. And lo and behold, he's the guy. So as the Spirit of the Lord came upon David uh, from that time forward, we are told, something very interesting happens to Saul in 1 Samuel 16. and verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player in the harp, and it shall be that he shall play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Samuel said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Well, again, this ended up being King David. And uh, when this distressing spirit would come upon Saul, David would play uh, you know, his, his music, he would sing some of the psalms that uh, he probably composed while he was out there watching the sheep, like Psalm 23, mm-hmm. and Saul would calm down at that particular point. So, you know, the, some translations will render this an evil spirit, and they will say that, well, uh, Saul was demon-possessed at this point, and they'll make the point that, uh, you know, Jesus said, that uh, when uh, a a demon is cast out of a house, it goes in arid places and it doesn't find rest. It comes back to the the man, we are told, that it came out of and says, uh, you know, this is swept clean and empty. I'll get seven spirits worse than myself. And so the last condition of that man is worse than the first. Mm. And some will say that because Saul had turned his back on God, uh, you know, there was this emptiness. And uh, into that emptiness came an evil spirit. Well, that's possible. There's two other explanations, though, uh, that there was, this could have been a demonic attack, uh, a distressing spirit. In other words, God, in a sense, because Saul had taken a step back, uh, the the classic uh, uh, hedge about him that Job speaks of Mm. is taken down, and Satan's pretty much allowed to have his way. And I I think there's something to be said for that, because uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about a guy who is so involved with immorality 
that it even grosses out the Corinthians. And the Corinthians weren't grossed out by much. Right. Uh, in fact, they pretty much indulged everything you could possibly think of. Well, this guy was involved with an adulterous affair, most scholars believe, with his own mom. And the Corinthians were tolerating it and patting themselves on the back. Oh, we're so gracious, you know, we'll allow this to continue on. Mm. And Saul says something really interesting. He goes, look, I'm going to turn this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved on the day of Christ Jesus. People ask, what does it mean for God to turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh? Mm. Well, I don't know, and I want to find out. Right. You know? <laughs> so, but most scholars believe that that is that taking back of that protecting hedge, if you will, mm. uh, around a, an individual that God will use for a disciplinary purpose. Yeah. You, know, you, you want to walk away from me, all right, have it your way, but good luck in this world. Because Satan's going to work overtime to go after anyone who's associated with or belongs to God. So there is that possibility that this was an attack, an attack on Saul's psyche, if you will. Uh, you know, again, the idea of a spirit of discontent that was in Saul's heart. You know, there, there's that old saying, the most miserable creature on planet Earth is a disobedient Christian. Mm. Because they got too much of Jesus to be happy in the world but too much of the world to be happy in Jesus. Right. And, you know, you ask my opinion on all of that, I think it's probably number four. Um, you know, Saul had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. He had seen God move in power within his life, and he turned away from all of that. And, you know, there was this emptiness. There was this remembrance of what it was like to walk with the Lord, and there was this horrible emptiness that he had to live with each and every day. So... You know, rather than getting into this idea that, you know, there was this distressing spirit, you know, that Saul was demon-possessed and, uh, you know, it would kind of come and go, well, the, the question I have along that line is why then was David playing praise music therapeutic to him? Hmm. I mean, if you're possessed, you've gone all the way over right. and given yourself fully over to Satan. <clears throat> the last thing in the world you're going to want to listen to is the original... Uh, harp and, you know, 10-stringed uh, lyre version of Psalm 23. You're not going to want to listen to God's Word at all. Right. So, you know, it was interesting how that brought calm to the heart of Psalm in a, mm. Saul in a, in a therapeutic kind of a way. So, you know, when we see this distressing spirit from the Lord troubling him, you know, we can say, well, okay, God allowed this distress on Saul's life because he wasn't going to bless his mess. Mm. And he said, well, you know, I, I'm going to just give you the sense of peace as you continue to go over the spiritual brink. Right. I think it was God's way of trying to bring this guy back. And, you know, unfortunately for Saul, it never really worked. He just kept continually fought against God and fought against God. And finally, God said to him, when he pushed it so far, he went to see a medium in Endor because God wasn't answering him and Samuel wasn't around to give him a pep talk anymore. And obviously... He was trying to persecute David. Um, you know, at that point, uh, God allowed Samuel to come back and said to Saul, <laughs> you know, why you brought me up here? Uh, you're, you're thinking, you know, because God isn't answering you, you're going to get answers from me. Okay, here's your answer. Uh, this time tomorrow, you're going to be in the place of the dead, hmm. you and your sons. Uh, the, the Philistines are going to have their way with you, and lo and behold, uh, that happened. Uh, that always raises the other interesting question. You think we're going to see Saul in heaven? Hmm. 
I'm asking you. You asking your me? first question. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'd get you one. Why don't you tell me what you <laughs> think, Scott? <laughs> Man, well, that's up to the Lord, of course, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to take on the role of... <laughs> you know, be, and, and that question always comes up, and, you know, there's people who will say, then obviously, you know, if he's seen mediums and God takes him out yeah. and so on, that, that he's done and all of this... Well, you know, was, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today about the Hall of Fame of Faith in mm. Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see some interesting individuals yeah. that are mentioned there, two of whom, you know, I could mention that start out okay and really took a header, Gideon. Mm. You know, I mean, the guy, you know, was brought a, uh, put forward as a great man of faith. And he was at the beginning, but at the end... He's kind of setting up idolatry and hands the baton of faith off to his son, Abimelech, yeah. who is probably one of the most seedy characters you'll ever find in the Bible. I mean, at the end of his life, he didn't seem to be doing all that well. Yeah. How about Samson? Hmm. Guy that was used by God, and God gave him the power one last time to use his strength and yeah. you know, delivered uh, Israel from the Philistines. But you, know, you look at a guy like uh, Samson, you know, and a guy that started out with the Nazarite vow and a guy that was used so mildly by God, mm. but then he had his own weak point and, mm. and, and so on. You can make a great case that Gideon, Samson, and Saul belonged in the same category. Yeah. How interesting, though, that those two people are mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Yeah. And I think it tells us something, that God looks at people a lot differently right. than we do. Now, the fact that we're having this debate, in a sense, over whether Saul was saved or not, I think kind of comes down to a really important point. I don't want to live my life in such a way yeah. that when I pass away, people are going to go, you think Scott's in heaven? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Boy, maybe. I don't know, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So That's what I, as you, were, as you were talking about this passage, what kept coming to my mind is I want to be a quick learner, you know, in my life with, with God. I don't want to be in a place where he removes any protection or, or hands me over to Satan or any of those things or get away from me. I never knew you. Just like you were saying, I just, I want to be absolutely sure that I'm walking with the Lord. And I, like you said, these, you know, especially if you grew up in church with Sunday school and you, you read about these Bible characters in the Old Testament and David and Goliath and all these highlights, man, these, you know, these just, these people of great faith. But then as you start to study the word, they did what? They had how many wives? They did yeah. the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, these, yeah. these aren't the people that, you know, that I thought they were, but it, but it speaks to God's, like you say, God's seeing us differently to how we look at each other and God's amazing grace. Yeah. And the people that he says, this is a, this is my guy. This is a man, a woman after my heart. And yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And you know, it, it answers another objection that always comes up. Is that uh, you know? Isn't the Bible just a you know, especially the New, the Old Testament? Isn't that just a rah rah group, uh, rah rah book for uh, Jewish nationalism? You know, all these heroes. And, yeah. You know, Israel forever turn back never. And and whenever anybody brings that up, I would kind of smile and say, Have you ever read it? Right. You know, just read they really it. Painted him in good. <laughs> and, and, and and read it. Read about how these individuals are portrayed. Yeah. You know, they're not gussied up. They're not. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, you know, edited for uh, for general audiences. Yeah. Israel is not, you know, uh, and uh, you know it just tells us that first of all, the sobering truth: God looks at us all with an unblinking eye. Yeah. But secondly, He also looks at us through the eyes 
of his amazing grace. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just go always go back to Romans chapter 5 and uh, verses 6 through 8 where it says, uh, you know, for when we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Right. For perhaps for a good man, someone might die for a righteous man. Someone might even dare to die. Mm-hmm. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet yeah. sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. Man, that's my only hope. Mm-hmm. You know, because every time I, you know, start to get a little puffed up and say, well, Lord, I'm doing this and this and this, you know, <laughs> a wicked one can turn around and say, yeah, but you're doing this and this and this. And you got yeah. this bad attitude. And you go, uh, uh. So, uh, you know, I guess, uh, Lee, I hope that answers your question. You know, I really think that what Saul was experiencing was what Saul, in a sense, wanted in life. He mm. didn't want uh, the plan and, and the peace of God that comes out of being a part of his purpose and plan. He wanted to do things his own way. God said, all right, do things your own way, but whether you like it or not when you do is a different story. Yeah, I think that's where that distressing spirit comes in. Yeah. Monica uh, commented on Facebook, I think Samson was redeemed in the end. It's about God's faithfulness. You know, it certainly is Yeah, God's faithfulness and not necessarily ours you know <laughs> yeah about if we are faithless we're told he remains faithful, faithful yeah for he cannot God. disown himself right that's right yeah um well another question here on facebook from casey um she apologizes that you get this question a lot but she's asking um about reformed theology what is it and a reformed baptist um she knows it's nothing to maybe divide fellowship over, but what is Reformed well, theology? Well, A, yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that last line. Is it something to divide fellowship over? Um, absolutely not. Uh, if you talk to people who are involved with churches that identify themselves as being Reformed in their theology, uh, we would, in Calvary Chapel circles, uh, agree with uh, the vast majority of the things that they say about really crucial issues, about who is Jesus, about who is God, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, about the, the, the nature of Christ's sacrifice on the cross being our only hope of salvation, about our uh, role as human beings and our desperate need for God's amazing grace. We would agree with that. The authority and inerrancy of the Scripture are highly held in, uh, in Reformed circles, and uh, there are individuals identified uh, with being Reformed that have had a tremendous impact upon my life personally. You know, before I got involved with the Calvary Chapel movement, for instance, and I'll give the full disclaimer, I was involved uh, as a youth pastor at a church that was a spinoff of John MacArthur's church. And John MacArthur is one of the, the leading lights, if you will, of, of Reformed teaching in our day and age. And that, that church taught those doctrines. Mm. Uh, Talbot Seminary, uh, where I took most of my classes. Most of my classes, believe it or not, uh, I took it at an extension campus at John MacArthur's church that eventually separated from Talbot for some theological differences and became Master's Seminary. So believe me, uh, you know, I've met John MacArthur. Uh, I used to play golf with John MacArthur's father. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, if there's anybody that, that has, you know, a great debt of gratitude uh, to extend to Reformed theology and Reformed theologians, it's definitely me. You know, my, one of my first uh, experiences in uh, in ministry was at a uh, liberal Baptist church, and I was so wet mm. behind the ears I didn't understand yeah. what liberal theology was all about. Only to, to discover, you know, that uh, these people didn't believe that the Bible was God's word. They believed that their messages were more important than the word of God. That you could fold, spindle, and mutilate the Bible. Any of these things, I got into this knockdown, dragout 
when the guy I really respected who asked me to be on his staff there, uh, you know, uh, over among other things, uh, him being upset that I told a Mormon girl who came to our college group that, you know, Mormons are not born-again Christians. Hmm. And he was so upset because she wanted to come back to the church. I said, well, do you want her to come to the church or do you want her to get saved? Yeah. You know, and so, you know, there were a lot of that stuff going on. Fortunately, I was able to leave that church and be a part of this other fellowship where they really took a high view of Scripture. That was a very healing experience for me. Full disclaimer, I am not a Calvinist, and we in Calvary Chapel circles are not Calvinistic. Right. We are not into Reformed theology, and, and this is why. To understand, uh, Casey, what Reformed theology is, uh, there is an acrostic that Calvinist Reformed theologians will give you that sum up what their take is, the lens that they look at Scripture through, and that they consider to be kind of their um, essentials, if you will. It's called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, which is appropriate because tulips grow in Holland, and uh, John Calvin was Dutch in his background, and you know Dutch Reformed and so forth, a very mm -hmm. strong part of all of this. So uh, TULIP essentially uh, stands for this, five points of Calvinism. Total depravity is the T. That means that man is absolutely incapable of saving himself. We are totally depraved. We are fallen. Uh, different Calvinists will have different definitions of all of that. Uh, I, I like what uh, a Reformed theologian, J.I. Packer, said about this. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be. We are as bad off as we can be, mm. as far as separation from God is concerned. Mm. So that's the T in the acrostic. And, you know, again, I think uh, we would all probably agree on that based on definition. Where it gets dicey and where we kind of get off the train, so, so to speak, it, you know, starts up with this idea of unconditional election, that uh, in uh, eternity past, God decided beforehand who was going to be saved and who would not be saved. In other words, nothing you or I do uh, qualified us for salvation. And if that was all unconditional election said, fine, yeah. Uh, God didn't look at you and me and say, oh, they're so cute, I just have to save them, you know. <laughs> oh, look, they walked a little old lady across the street, I'm going to extend my mercy to them. No, God saves because it's his nature uh, to save. It is his mercy and his grace that allows us to be saved, not anything that's native or natural in us. So that's unconditional election. Uh, and again, depending on the definition, we can sort of learn to live with that. Where we really get off the, the, the uh, A train here is the L and the acrostic, limited atonement. Hmm. Uh, and what that means is that Jesus didn't die for the whole world. He died only for the elect. And really, this is a philosophical construct that states if God is totally sovereign and he's control, in control of all things, um, and Jesus died for everyone, uh, there are going to be those who don't come to Jesus. And so man would be sovereign over God, you see, if, if you don't believe in limited atonement. That, that's yeah. the philosophical argument. And it seems persuasive at first blush until, of course, you say, all right, uh, how do you square that then with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. Well, I've talked to Calvinists. They say, well, that refers to the elect. Well, no, it says whosoever. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've got to 
problem here. First John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, says, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, these things I, uh, you know, these things I write to you, my beloved brethren, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Mm. And they'll say, well, no, that's the elect. No, it's not the elect. It's the sins of the whole world. And what, you know, we believe is that, uh, you know, Jesus didn't die simply for those who would receive him. Obviously, he did. But that his salvation that he provided is adequate to save anyone who will come to him and call upon him. Mm-hmm. And so the limited atonement thing is really a, 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 stepping, uh, a stumbling point as far as Calvary Chapels being into all of this. The I and the acrostic stands for irresistible grace. And, and what that means is that everyone whom God calls, everyone he predestined before the foundation of the world, is going to come to him. Well, we wouldn't disagree with that at first blush, hmm. but what that means is you don't have a choice, right. I don't have a choice in our salvation. God is going to irresistibly draw you to himself, yeah. and it ties into their emphasis on uh, the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of predestination uh, that, that states that if God predestined you, you're going to be saved. If he did not predestine you, then you're not. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem that you get into with all of that, the irresistible grace thing, is this. Okay, so that those who resist grace, those who don't come to Christ, God had to choose. And this gets into something that, that uh, you know, depending upon... Uh, the, the place you're hearing Calvinism taught, they don't really like to go there, but it's sort of an inevitable conclusion that you come to, that God chose some to be saved and drew them irresistibly. God also chooses some not to be saved and presents them irresist- right. and prevents them irresistibly. In other words, God looked at some people and said, well, guess you're going to go to hell. Yeah. And I'm God, and you got to like that, and who are you, the pot, to argue against the yeah. potter? Uh, well... That seems to be contradictory to God's merciful nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, again, God uh, in, in Christ wept over Jerusalem because they rejected him. Why should he weep? He's the one who hardened their hearts. Uh, you know, you, you just, yeah. it raises more questions than it gives you answers. The P stands for perseverance of the saints. And, and this is the doctrine of eternal security based on the idea that if you have been elected and predestined and called by God, you are going to uh, continue on in that relationship all the way to heaven. And you know, we'd be all over affirming uh, Philippians 1.6, you began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. But the problem you get into is this. What do you do then with a stumbling believer? Uh, what do you get into with someone who has, say, a habitual sin and they stumble and, and fall. Uh, you know, the eternal security that is taught by this doctrine, you know, in a sense, isn't all that secure at all, uh, because both sides of the coin, the, you know, once saved, always saved, versus you can lose it side, mm-hmm. are going to look at an individual who, say, was like Charles Templeton, who was considered the Billy Graham of Canada, right. uh, you know, did all these crusades, People thought he was a better evangelist than Billy was, contemporary with Billy Graham. Uh, But uh, he well fell away from the faith, wrote a book called Farewell to God, Hmm. where he espoused atheism and mocked the gospel. Well, what do you do with a guy like Templeton? Hmm. 
you know, some people will say, if they're the once saved, always saved side, they'll say, uh, well, Templeton kind of had it, uh, but he, uh, well, maybe he was doing a lot of these wonderful things, but he was faking it. Yeah. And it was just, you know, and he couldn't keep it up forever, and sooner or later, his inner man is going to, to come out. Mm. Uh, and so they'll say, well, uh, he seemed like he was saved, but, you know, you're writing books espousing atheism, you're not saved. Well, that you can lose it, sides. So well, this is easy. Mm. Maybe he had it, but he lost it because people are generally born again, aren't mocking the gospel and, you know, uh, making fun of Jesus and so on. Well, the, the problem I always had with that is both sides are kind of saying the same thing, although mm. they don't want to admit it. Mm. Uh, they both look at a guy like Templeton and say, that guy needs the Please. Lord. Yeah. They're arguing about how he got there, yeah. which I think is sort of a pointless argument. Yeah. You know, you really just need to be ministering the person where they are. Right. So, you know, the, the question obviously comes up, Casey, uh, where do we stand in Calvary Chapel circles? Well, maybe the best way to sum it all up is this. There's a, uh, a, a, a point-counterpoint, if you will, uh, doctrine out there called Arminianism uh, that attempts to answer these five points of Calvinism. And they will emphasize man's free will and free choice over God's sovereignty. Hmm. And uh, the, the problem with that is if you take Arminianism to its logical conclusion, you've got a God who's genuinely shocked and surprised when you and I made a decision to receive Christ. Hmm. You know, it was kind of all on us. Right. You know, we figured it out. Uh, we were the ones that came up with the faith and so on. And that's not something that the Bible teaches. It says that you're, by grace that you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's mm -hmm. the gift of God, not of works. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yeah. Not you were a little off. Yeah. You know, you need a little elbow grease on your soul. You know, we can, well, it's bad material. We can work with it. Now you're yeah. dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and so where we uh, come down on all of this, is that Calvinism and Arminianism, and this is not original with me, the, the church historian Philip Schaff uh, said this, is that both of these are true in what they affirm. Do we believe God is sovereign? Right. Absolutely. Do we believe that God had a choice in our salvation? Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Yeah. Uh, do we believe that if the Lord draws you, you're going to come to him? Absolutely. Uh, do we believe that you can be secure in your saving relationship with God because of what God has done for you? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We agree in these things that Calvinism affirms, but we disagree in what it denies. Yeah. You know, because the Bible teaches free will and predestination. Yeah. It, it teaches, you know, security in Christ, but it also teaches the insecurity of those who don't abide in a relationship with Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess what it comes down to is this, Casey, and, you know, there's really sincere and, and wonderful uh, believers in Christ that get into this doctrine. But uh, the, the thing that I would say is this, and, and this is one of the things I love about being a part of Calvary Chapel. Uh, we believe in teaching the whole counsel of God's Word, mm -hmm. from Genesis to Revelation. You know, we, we don't take time off you know, say, for instance, say, okay, we're going to have uh, five points of Calvinism week or, you know, eight <laughs> points of Arminianism week or things like this. We believe that if you teach the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, mm. you're going to cover all these subjects in balance, right. you know, and as such, you know, it's an interesting phenomena for me because 
And we'll come across a passage where, you know, the sovereignty of God is emphasized. Mm-hmm. And we teach that, you mm-hmm. know, Romans chapter 8 uh, and verse 28, that we know all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. For those whom he called these, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. They might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yeah. Those whom he predestined, these he also called. Those whom he called, these he also justified. These also justified, he also glorified. Yeah. Now, there's not a whole lot of... Yeah. Uh, so you must you be know, a Calvinist. You know, you, room to maneuver with all of that. <laughs> you know, and it emphasizes the wonderful power of God in our salvation. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, I guess you're flaming five-pointer there because you're teaching yeah. all that. No, I'm teaching the Word and this. And you can get some great in- insight from five-point Calvinist, Mm. about the sovereignty of God there. But you also have to look at passages, like, for instance, uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30, where we're told, see, I've set before you life and death, Mm -hmm. the blessing and the curse. Choose Choose life that you may live. Well, if God's already chosen, you don't really have a choice. That's sort of a nonsensical uh, statement there. (laughs) You know, why is God bereaved and broken over disobedience when he's just created these people to be doing this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, when we teach human responsibility, we come across passages of human responsibility. We want to teach a balance. You know, a great example of this, I think, is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. It says there, uh, therefore, my beloved brethren, uh, in my ab- in, as you did in my presence, much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Now, if you're on the Arminian side, you say, see, you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's on you. Mm. But the very next verse says, for it is God who works within you, both Mm. to work and to will according to his good pleasure. It's a both and, not an either or. You know, so when it comes to the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and and really, Casey, this is where the the nub of the issue is. Mm. Um, The Bible teaches both. Which one should we emphasize? We should emphasize both. Mm-hmm. And when we emphasize one to the other, or people say, well, which is more important to emphasize, sovereignty or human responsibility? To me, it's like asking, which wing of the airplane do you want to have intact at 30,000 feet? Mm-hmm. Both, please. Yeah, yeah, you want to have both. Yeah. So, so that's where we are. And, uh, of course, we're going to get uh, emails and then, oh, you're simplistic and blah, you know, like that. Well, fine, good. You know, hang out, you know, with the, uh, the particular persuasion that you're involved with. I, I, I don't mean to be glib about all of this, but, uh, you know, I've been on both sides of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when people fall in love with a theological construct, mm-hmm. where that means more to them, in a sense, than even the Scripture. Yeah. You know, they're more identified with, you know, being an Arminian or a Calvinist or even being a Calvary Chapelite or whatever than they are in following Jesus and, and, and being in his word. Uh, I, I think we've made a crucial mistake. Yeah. You know, uh, theological constructs like Calvinism or Arminianism, or you name some others, uh, you know, even our, our views on the end times, the last days, mm-hmm. they're great tools, but they shouldn't be the only tool that we have in our toolbox yeah. if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth. See, there's yeah. the old saw, uh, pardon the expression, that if the only thing you got in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, we need saws and we need hammers. We need screwdrivers. We need different tools Mm -hmm. to properly expose the Word of God. And we can glean from people from all these different theological persuasions without being overwhelmed by them. So, you know, that's that's where we are. Your mileage may vary. I would never um, part fellowship with somebody. 
you know, over these particular issues. Yeah. But if someone comes into our church and, uh, you know, they read the Calvary distinctives, they know this is the position that we take, um, you know, they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really more over in this Arminian side of things. Well, then I think you need to find a church that, you know, reflects those things. You're going to be at peace there. Yeah. You know, don't come into a church because you think you're going to change it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we should be out winning the world, not going to different churches. And, and when I was a college pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa, we used to have these people come over and they try to get people from the college group to go over to their particular church because they didn't feel like we were into their ism enough. Yeah. And, and, and to me, if people would invest that energy in reaching the lost, I think we'd be a lot better off. Right. And that had that thought too of if it affects you know, these isms, if it affects the way that we outreach, um, you know, if you're a Calvinist and you're like, well, I, I guess I don't need to share my faith because God's going to save who he's going to save, so I don't have to do anything. Or if you're on the Armenian side and you're works, 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 because I want to, you know, I've got to save myself, right. you know, then that's a, a big problem, you yeah. know, both, <laughs> both yeah. those ways. But um, like you said, you know, you illustrated both sides, if we're saying the same things, people need Jesus, and we're going to share that and, and balance that, then I guess we can, you know, agree to disagree on some of these things and still be at peace with each other. But, yeah, um, yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, disagree agreeably. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we'd say to people, if this, you know, either one of these sides is just this absolute essential in your life, great. Yeah. That's awesome. There are churches that share your point of view. Go find one. Yeah. And then, you know, you can be at peace right. among those people. Uh, but, you know, like for me, uh, and, and I come by this honestly, uh, you know, the more I began to, you know, again, be influenced by the Calvary Chapel movement and, uh, you know, their emphasis on these things and feeling like this is really where I fit, you know, I realized that I wasn't doing a church that was really over, say, in my particular situation, moreover in Reformed theology, any favors by hanging out there. Mm. Because sooner or later, my convictions are going to come out. You know, and I don't want to undermine leadership, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, cause these kind of things. Because these are issues that genuine believers can disagree upon. Right. You know, we talk about the, the non-negotiables of, yeah. of our faith. And, uh, you know, I really try to keep those non-negotiables as limited as I possibly mm -hmm. can. You know, there's one God, and we're not Him. Right. You know, His nature is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, they are distinct in person, but one in essence is God. That Jesus is God in human flesh. That salvation was made possible because Jesus lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave three days later. That we are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible is the inspired an authoritative word of God and should be the final arbiter of all these decisions. That's really where right. I try to leave it. Yeah. And these other things, you know, again, you know, people, well, what about the doctrine of the rapture? And what about, you know, this yeah. and this? Well, there are aspects of the Christian life that I passionately believe in, like, say, a pre-tribulation rapture. But I can look at another believer who says, you know, I kind of think it's going to be mid-trib. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, well, I think you're off because of these reasons but you know i think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when the rapture is pre-trib yeah <laughs> uh, they're, they're going to go they, you know and, right. and so we can agree to disagree about yeah. all of that yeah and again how's it affecting 
if you're mid-trib, you're like, well, I'll just wait for the, the early trib and then I'll get my act together. You know, like if, yeah. it's, if it's affecting how you're living your life for the Lord, then there's, again, there's a problem. Um, but if these are just interesting things or just a, not a, you know, a desire to know yeah. God's word more. Or, then, or, you know, what church you grew up in or, or what uh, significant spiritual leaders have influenced your thought, yeah. that, that's fine. Right. You know, hold those convictions, but, you know, don't get out the uh, the smiting stick right. and think, oh, I got to go heretic hunting yeah. and I'm going to go to all these churches and straighten them all out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've, we've met people, seen people like that here in the church who come with a real agenda of, I'm going to turn this place around, you know, doctrinally and those kind of things. I know I've seen those over my, uh, my years here, but um, I know something that's helped me. I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a super intellectual person, you know. I'm not. I'm not someone that's um, necessarily. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll avoid the uh, the obvious joke there, but go ahead. <laughs> you say I sound yeah. like I am, but and I'm not someone that has to know everything. But and in a sense, that served me because it's important for me. What's helped me is to know the word clearly teaches God's thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. Things that seem impossible to us are not impossible to God. He created our reality, time, and all these yeah. things. And like you talked about, if there's two things. You know our our, our um, you know selection and our free will. Two things that don't fit together in my mind. That's okay because God's mind is greater than greater than mine. Yeah, He doesn't have a hard time keeping them two of them. That's together. right, and I can just leave it there. You know, these two things, like you say, they're true in the Word. That's very clearly taught. They don't work together for me, but I'm kind of dumb. So you know. yeah, and and you know, you don't have to be kind of dumb uh, to find yourself in that particular persuasion. I remember my final year in seminary, I'm taking my senior level theology class uh, with this professor who'd been teaching theology for 40 years. And I mean, <laughs> written books and, you know, yeah. some of his articles I could barely understand. And, and I said to him, you know, how do you reconcile predestination and free will? How do you, you bring those two things together? And he kind of smiled at me and he said, Scott, if the tension ever goes out of that issue for you, it only mm. means the spring is broken. Oh, wow. And, and we're going to have to hold some of these scriptures in tension. Yeah. Um, you know, if I've got everything about God figured out, um, I'll probably <laughs> miss something here. Yeah. And, and so I said, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's why we give the full counsel of God. We don't shy away from passages that emphasize God's sovereignty and his choosing us. I love that doctrine. Yeah. You know, I love the fact there's never been an unplanned birth in the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, that before the foundation of the world, he knew me and he loved me. Right. Before I was a twinkle in my mind. I love that. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. But I'm also in awe of the fact that part and parcel of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God is that I can glorify him by looking at the message of Christ, hearing his invitation, whosoever will let him take of the water of life and say, you know, O Lamb of God, I come. I, I come to you. Where you know, you're like you're fond of saying, where else am I going to go? Right. You have the words of eternal life. That's right. Uh, and, and, and and so I didn't come up with that, by the way. <laughs> but but you, you say it often, yeah. and, and I love that. But but, love but, but that I think is is kind of where we leave it. I know we've spent a lot of time talking about that yeah. that Casey, but it's it's a really good question, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah. Well, uh, we have Monica about has a question here, I guess. Yeah. Uh, on uh, Facebook, I have a question. Uh, Revelation fifteen sixteen oh, says, "I will come as a thief." What difference is there with Matthew's referring to the, reference to the rapture in pre-tribulation? I think the scripture in Revelation was taken out of context. Uh, Monica, I'm not. Sh I, I'll take a stab at this, and if I miss or talk past your question, please please let me know. You know, the the fact of the matter is. 
when you talk about Jesus saying, I come as a thief in the night, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 reiterates that point, that Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. And yet we see passages, uh, for instance, like you mentioned, in Matthew chapter 24 that uh, talk about Jesus coming as being anything but, uh, you know, catching people by surprise or something that is subtle in any stretch of the term. Uh, you know, I think of what Matthew chapter 24, as I thumb through my well-worn Bible, uh, says about the return of Christ, uh, where it says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars from heaven, uh, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This does not appear to be something that is secret. It is very open and in your face. But then again, a few verses over, in verse 36 of Matthew 24, we see, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood... They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so we have this picture of Jesus coming back, and he's coming back, and he's not subtle. Mm. The heavens are falling apart. Uh, the earth is about to be destroyed. Uh, the sign of the Son of Man appears in the heavens. All the nations mourn when they see him. But then we see this other picture about Jesus' return being like the days of Noah, people eating and drinking, buying and selling, marrying, giving in marriage, till the day that Noah enters the ark, and then judgment takes them all away. How do you reconcile these two things? Well, this is how you reconcile it. You're talking about the second coming of Christ to earth in that initial passage, when his feet come and stand on the Mount of Olives, when he comes to right this world gone wrong, when he defeats the armies of the Antichrist, his return is going to be anything but Revelation 19. We're going to be a part of it coming back with him uh, to rule and reign at that time. However, Jesus coming for his people at the event we call the rapture is going to be like the days of Noah. Well, what were the days of Noah like? Well, three things were true about it. First of all, uh, there was a prophetic warning. Uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. God said man has 120 years until this happens. And Noah wasn't just kicking back. He was a preacher of righteousness at this time, warning people about this impending judgment that was going to come. Secondly, a provision was made for God's people. Uh, God, when he visits wrath upon the earth, uh, doesn't miss. There's no collateral damage, if you will, uh, when God visits his wrath. Uh, you know, he targets those who've rejected him, and they receive his wrath at that time. So a provision is made for God's people. We were not destined for wrath. We are told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 10, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, Jesus bore our wrath on the cross. You know, people say, well, but you know, why should we get out easy, you know, and, and people have suffered and died for their faith. Yeah, that's absolutely true, but they haven't suffered and died because of the wrath of God. They've suffered and died because of the wrath of man. Mm. And in this world today, people are still suffering and dying for the wrath of man against God, the wrath of Satan that inspires uh, you know, the false religions, the brutality against those who stand for Christ. That still happens in our day, right. and, it, and it will happen in that tribulation period to those who come to know Christ. Mm. But God isn't going to say, 
Uh, well, I got a lightning bolt with your name on it too. Uh, God's provided that way out through the rapture. And, and there are people yeah. who say, well, you know, that sounds like escapism to me. That sounds like taking the easy way out. Well, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, pray always that you may be found worthy to escape all these things mm-hmm. and stand before the Son of Man. If Jesus said to pray for escape, then that makes me an escapist, an escapist I shall <laughs> yep. be. Sign me up. Yeah. So, you know, again, the warning... 120 years of preaching, the flood, God closes the door of the ark, and mm. then and only then does judgment fall. Mm. So, you know, I think we see that pattern, Monica, in uh, Matthew chapter 24, even that passage uh, that you point to, that uh, there are both of these things going on. Mm. And Jesus describes them both because both of them are true. When he actually returns to rule and reign, global, cataclysmic for those who reject him, Uh, absolutely obvious. It's not going to be a subtle thing at all. Mm. But when he comes for his people, it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going Mm. to catch people off guard. And, you know, when you see Jesus talking about people buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage, read the book of Revelation. When Jesus comes back again, uh, you know, among other things, because of the plagues visited upon the earth, there's not going to be any drinkable water anymore. I don't think anybody's going to be closing a real estate deal or renting a wedding hall. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, we kind of come to the end of it, haven't we? Yeah, we have. What a great time. So much fun. Yeah. See, it wasn't thanks that painful. Thanks for having painful. me. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Hey, I'll thanks. go lay down for a while. Yeah, but. thanks so much for being with us on the broadcast. Scott Richards with Dave Robson. Be praying for the rest of our crew. Back tomorrow for more of your questions. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.